Please turn, let me get right here in the beginning of my notes here, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Just put your finger in there. We'll be there in a familiar text of Scripture for our first passage we're going to look at. But I want to I start off this morning and really just ask a question. Have you ever just thought about what it was like when you were growing up in your family? Have you ever just con- taken time to reminisce, just look back, what it was like when you grew up and what it was like with your dad? Did you have a lot of good memories? A lot of things you went back and said, man, I really wish I could go do that again. Or maybe you have memories that you really wish you had, but you didn't get to have them. Maybe your experience was very different than others around you. Maybe you didn't have a father that you could actually connect with. Can I encourage you this morning as we look at our Heavenly Father, that our Heavenly Father is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. He cares for each and every one of his children. And as we open the text this morning in John chapter 3, which is going to be the first thing we're going to look at, I want you reminded of this amazing God who came in human history by sending Jesus Christ to pay for our sin. You see, we'll be looking at specifically the first person of the Trinity today, the Father. We know that that God is triune, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we're going to mainly be looking at the Father this morning. And as we look at that, we hope that through an understanding of who our Heavenly Father is, those of us that are fathers are going to be better fathers at home. Um, I would dare say that many of us, our standard for ourselves is different than God's standard is for us. And many times, because our standard is different than what God's standard is for us, we fall short of what He expects from us. But today, this morning, I hope this message is an encouragement, not a discouragement to you. Because God the Father loves you so much, He wants to enable you, and He gives you the Holy Spirit to enable you to be the best Father that you can be. This is not an exhaustive list, but we're going to look at five things that really are qualities of a good father, and how specifically to live those things out as fathers. Number one, a father loves, in John 3, 16 through 17. Number two, a father disciplines, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Number three, a father gives, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Number four, a father comforts. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. And number 5, a father confirms, Romans 8, 15 through 16. Let's turn to John 3, verses 16 and 17. You're probably very familiar with these verses. But here's what Scripture says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, we've spoken a lot about this love specifically before. I know we had a series on love that we did. And this love is agape. It's unconditional. It's the love that God has for his own. In fact, it takes an eternal God to step into human history, sending us his son to show us and demonstrate his love toward us. We're not born into the family of God by kind of joining a membership, if you will, right? It's not like Costco. You don't get to just get a membership card. There's the Holy Spirit who gives us new life. We're born into the family of God. And it's important to understand that for spiritual birth to occur, the Holy Spirit has to be given. The Holy Spirit regenerates, gives us new life, and gives us eyes to see Jesus Christ for who he is, the son that the Father sent. 
And we start valuing him and we start seeing our Heavenly Father for who he is. A couple things as a way of reminder of agape love. This is the most noble word for love because it originates from God's own nature. This love is unconditional. And even if the object of this love does not respond as angered, spiteful, wishes ill, it continually pursues. Agape love is a sacrificial love that God shows because he is this love. And as Adrian Rogers points, points out, he says, Christianity is a love relationship between, between a child of God and his maker through the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So agape love is one of the ways that we know that God has loved us and we ought to love our children, fathers, and those around us. One of the other ways that we know, we discussed this also in the series on love, is that there's a familial love, a storge love. This, this word is defined as familial devotion. It's a natural affection that we have as parents for our children. You know, it really doesn't matter what they've done, we still love them, they're our kids. The connection naturally formed through the process of time between parents and their children. This view of love involves emotions, but conditions are usually not attached. In fact, this word is only mentioned a few times in the Bible itself. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called sons or children of God. D.L. Moody makes a point on this. He says, if we, if we have got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we will show it in our lives. We will not have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything we say or do. Now, you need to get this first one right or else you're going to get all the others wrong. And, and you're going to see some of that as we work through it. If your love is not a heavenly love, if you will, unconditional agape love, then it's going to fail. And you're going to start doing things differently as fathers than you ought to based on what God himself has done on your behalf. You can say that a father that does not love will not do these other things properly. In fact, the second thing we're going to look at is in Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. A father disciplines. Number two, disciplines. And you have forgotten the exhortation which, which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline is an important part of a father's role. It's an important quality that each father should have. And one of the things that we see here in the text, that it's a mark of our Heavenly Father. And the fact that He loves us, He disciplines us or corrects us. 
Many people confuse God's correction for a disdain for, for us when it's really a love. And it's his love exemplified. Because he cares, he disciplines. Discipline is absolutely an important mark of a good father, as this is something that God the Father does with his own children. Now, you may have actually grown up with a father that probably didn't care what you did, and I would argue based on this text that that's not what he should have been doing. God, our Heavenly Father, he corrects us because he wants what's best for us, and ultimately being partakers of his holiness, meaning he's striving to make us holy. So fathers, if we want to be good fathers, let's take our cue from our Heavenly Father, not just the, the person next to us, in front of us or behind us. Let's take our cue from the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father knows what's best, and He knows better than all of us because He created us. And guess what? You're His child. How many of you know what it's like growing up in a home where you don't get to tell mom and dad what, what they say or what they think? They tell you what to think and what to say, particularly when they're little tykes. You ever apologize for something because mom and dad told you to apologize for it? You ever do that? It's, it's, it's common, right? You do something wrong, you better say you're sorry. Why, why, why do they make us do that? Do we consciously know to apologize? Probably not, right? The only way, reason why many of us said sorry was because we didn't want to get in trouble later on, right? Like we didn't want to get the punishment. We didn't really say sorry because we really cared that we did something. We just hate the fact that we just got caught for hitting our sister or brother, right? Like, that's what we hated. But see, here's what's interesting. As we see through the Word of God, and these are just a few examples, God disciplines and chastens His children mainly in three different ways. Number one, through His Word. What we're doing today, let me just tell you right now, I'm giving you a pretext to what God's doing right now. He's correcting you, fathers, and me, through His Word, okay? That's his first form of discipline. It's the main method that God uses with all people, particularly those that are his own. He corrects by using the word. He corrects by using the words that are written down for us. The second way is through other people. Th think of Nathan with David, right? Nathan comes along, he says something to David, David blows up and then realizes, oh wait, that's actually me. I'm the one that fought. I'm the one that screwed up. So God uses other people. He uses other people. And then the third one is through circumstances. Think of the Old Testament, right? You have all the different trials that the nation of Israel went through. Their wanderings, their miserable experiences, slavery, and then their restoration, right? So God uses circumstances as well. Um, I dare say that there's a progression that you're going to see in your life. If you ignore the first one, which is God's word, and he clearly tells you, here's what I want you to do, what ends up happening is God typically, not always, but typically sends somebody your way to tell you, hey, you got an anger problem. Fix it. Hey, you're doing this wrong right here. You need to work on that. Hey, you're not diligent over here. You need to work harder. And when that doesn't work out, and we don't listen to that second form of discipline that God sends our way. And I'm talking godly people that care for you. I'm not talking about the person that's trying to trip you up. Okay, please make sure we're getting context right here. Other people that really care for your well-being, once we ignore those things, the third thing that happens is a circumstance that's way out of your control. And that's one of the problems for a lot of us is when we live out that life 
that God wants us to and we ignore the instruction that he's given and we start seeing these forms of discipline coming our way, once it gets to circumstances at that point, it's too late for us to decide what the circumstances are. It's very late. At that point, you got to learn through the experience. As Pastor Rizzo used to say, the school of hard knocks, okay? And sometimes it's not a fun school process to go through. Sometimes it's very difficult. So you're possibly wondering, well, if, if I'm a father today, how, how do I know, for example, like God here is specifically saying that he chastens because he cares. How, how do I know that I'm doing that? Okay, like how do I know that as a father I'm disciplining the way God does? Well, here's a couple ways. Number one, and let's think through this, do you make God's word a priority in how you think of discipline? Like, if you are going to try to biblically discipline and you're not in the Bible, it's kind of impossible, right? Like, you're not going to do it God's way if you're outside his word. That is literally like saying, I'm reading every other parenting book, but I'm going to do it God's way. That, that doesn't work that way. You can read the parenting book, but if you're not reading the Word of God, if you're not trying to glean from God's example and, and the different testimonies that you see throughout Scripture, then you're not going to do it the right way right off the bat. Your foundation needs to be right. Here's another question. Are you careful what your children are exposed to, fathers? Like, what you allow in your home is the standard that you're setting for your children when it comes to discipline. Because you as a parent, you know better than they should know who they should listen to what they should watch, who they should have as friends. All of those things are a form of correction and discipline in your, in your children's lives. Your discipline is actually clearly spelled out by what you allow in your home. Your standard at home spells out what you think of discipline. Be sure to also, as your children get older, and this is something I have to remind myself, you need to let your children fall and learn the consequences. You can't pretend that they won't have consequences in life. And you can't just ignore it and say, I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm not going to deal with it. Your children need you to come along and actually correct those things in their life. So here's some practical tips. Because Scripture actually tells us in Ephesians that fathers, we're not to provoke our children to wrath. We're not supposed to work them up to anger or disappointment as they get older. So one of the ways is do the best that you can to exact just punishment for what happened. Just punishment. If you have multiple children at home, don't try to punish one more intensely than the other. Try to have a just punishment. Now, your discipline, your form of discipline may be different based on knowing your children, but make sure it's just. Make sure you're not blowing it over the top on one and then letting the other slide. That's one way to provoke your children to anger as they get older. Here's another one. Don't set unrealistic expectations of your children. This is a big one that parents have done throughout history. If you're a type A like me, you're going to want your children to do best at everything. And if they're not getting A's in school, they're failing, right? Like, that's what we think. That's wrong. It's wrong. Don't set unrealistic expectations because you're going to get your children to disappointment and anger. Especially when their siblings performing better than they are in certain things. Parents, your children are not perfect. They're not going to do everything the way you'd want them to. As if we don't need any living proof. We know that, right? We, we know what it was like last night putting our children in bed. Those of us that have children, right? Encourage your children in whatever it is that God's called them to in life. You know one of the things that's devastating for children, and, and it really happens in a lot of homes, is children today, they hear more criticism than encouragement. 
they hear more where they're failing than where they're doing well. Now, you still need to point out the things that they're doing wrong, absolutely. But if all they hear is how poor of an example they are and how horrible they are, you're not going to help them as they mature because you need a balanced approach. Imagine if all God did, let's put this in practical terms, if all God did was rain down wrath every time on us, every time we blew it, instead of gently try to pick us up and go, let's go. You can do it. God corrects us. He shows us where we're wrong, but he encourages us as well. Does that make sense? You need to make sure you're doing that. Here's a big one. Don't be overbearing or overprotective as a parent. Building barriers is not a good way to have a relationship with your children. And just because you're a parent that has standards does not mean that your children won't get angry as they get older because you put those standards in there. Don't put unnecessary barriers between you and your children. It's good to have high standards, but if those standards are unbiblical and without a heart of love for your children, that's going to turn into resentment as they get older. Also, don't be the opposite of that, because parents are like, oh yeah, I know, I don't want to be overbearing and all that. Put standards in place. Don't be the other extreme of that. Like, I'm not going to put any standards up there. My kids are going to be free to do whatever they want. Um, according to this text here, God actually disciplines because he cares. In fact, one of the signs and marks of a believer being a child of God is that God disciplines them. And he says, if you don't have discipline, you're not a partaker with me. You're not a son legitimately. If you want to be a good father, you need to discipline, but make sure you have this balanced out, okay? You need to have this balanced out. Bottom line, it's a balancing act. Number three qualities of a good father is that he gives. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 9 through 11. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Bottom line, if you are to be like your heavenly Father, fathers, you need to be giving. Fathers, you need to be giving. One of the first verses we just read, right? For God so loved the world that he what? gave. You want to be a good father, you need to be a giving father. Fathers need to be able to sacrifice the things that they want for the, what the things that their children actually need. Let me repeat that again, hopefully phrase it better. Fathers need to sacrifice the things that they want for the things that their children need. Sometimes you've got to put away some of that stuff you want to get to, guys. It's not easy. It's not easy, fathers, sometimes. We all need that break once in a while, right? But sometimes our children need that attention from us and something that we need to help them with and potentially go get, some, get something at the store to help them out. Let's be practical for a second. So, like, let's say your son or daughter, they, needs a, they need a computer for school. Like, your response shouldn't be, well, I didn't have one when I was growing up. Tough. I'll get you a typewriter. You know, like, that's not the right response. Go get them a computer. 
And please, don't get like the $50 one that will barely run. Get them a decent computer, put protections on it. You're worried about them getting on something? Absolutely understand. But be practical. Give good gifts. Your Father's giving you. Your Heavenly Father's giving you good gifts. Give good gifts to your children. Your child asks for something specific for their birthday. Let's say it's a new bike, right? You can get them a new bike or at least something that's a nice used bike. Don't get this broken one, right, on Craigslist that you can barely fix up. Especially if you're not that type. It'll work. The brakes don't work at all, but he'll be able to stop with their feet, right? Give good gifts, fathers. Your father in heaven's giving you good gifts. What are you doing? Obviously, if you can only give, you can only give so much based on what you have, right? Like, different times in your life, you're going to be able to give more, right? When we, when we first were married, I know that for us, when we didn't have much money, there was only so much we could do for our children. There was just so much we can do. But, but as you get your way out of debt, you work through certain things, then you can do a little more. And, and that's the way it should be, parents. Fathers, don't be chintzy with your money. Care for your children. If God, your heavenly fathers, cared for you, why don't you care for your own? You are to exemplify him. Not the other guy bragging about what he does for his kids. You have a heavenly father as your standard. See, if God's blessed you and your income has gone up and you can do better, more things, then maybe sometimes you just need to purchase what it is that they need and maybe they even want and forget the upgrade that you want with your tools, your guns, you know, your car, whatever it is that you like as a man. For me, it was electronics growing up. Like, I just really liked certain electronics. And as I became a father, I started realizing I can't purchase everything I'd like, or else I won't have any money. And as your children get older, you're going to understand that certain things that they need may be something that will take away from what you might want. And you need to be able to sacrifice men. Now, here's one thing that's important. Remember we talked about love being the first thing that, where it's all founded on? Love is important for a reason, because you know what some parents do, and sadly to our detriment in society, parents buy their children gifts to manipulate them. You don't do that. That is not biblical, man. We do not buy our children something to manipulate them. Oh, remember I bought you this? Now you got to be like this. I know we don't say that we ever do that, right? Like that never happens with us. We never do that. We don't buy things to and always in a way to manipulate them, right? Like, that would never happen. That's everybody else. Like, only they would do that. Man, we need to be careful. We need to be very careful. Because what we end up doing is actually doing what our boss does to us at work, right? Like, I got you a raise, so you better do this now. Men, how many of us like that when people do that to us, huh? How many of us like when someone tells us, because I got you this raise, you better do this now? We don't like that any more than the next guy. But for some reason, we think it's fine in the home. Shouldn't be that way. Number four, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God the Father, here in this text, clearly comforts his children. Fathers, you need to hear me out on this one. It is not just a mother's duty to comfort their children. It's your responsibility. Your heavenly Father has comforted you. You are to comfort your children as well. This is a missing ingredient in a lot of homes. All mom deals with the crying and all that. And fathers, we just stand there and go, suck it up. Figure it out. You're old enough. And look, at times you need tough love, okay? Like, we're, let's put it in balance. We need tough love. I think every man that's grown up in a home where dad's like, all right, come on, you can do this. Just cut out. Cut out the crying. Come on, man. You got this. We need that once in a while, right? But fathers, our children need us to comfort them sometimes. Our children need us to comfort them sometimes. And if we're not careful, what we end up doing is throwing that responsibility over to the mother instead of taking that responsibility on for ourselves. Ask a girl whose daddy actually cared for them what they think of their father being there to comfort them when they were going through a hard time. It means the world. And sadly, a lot of men, they've kind of given that responsibility over to the wife and to the mother, and they said, you know what, that's for her to deal with. Sometimes the biggest thing that your children need is just you to be there to give them a shoulder to cry on. That's all they want. That's going to be more important than the lecture you give them. It's going to be more important than the many verses you might want to quote on the spot. I know some of us like to do that. Well, God's word says. Give them a hug, all right? Comfort others in the way you've been comforted. Some of us actually have this kind of macho mentality as men, right? Like, only others cry. I will never cry as a man. Nobody will see that. And what ends up happening is we lose out on that connection that we might have with our kids. Men, even the toughest men, you can cry over certain situations in your life with your children. Let me remind you, in case you've missed this point in Scripture, Jesus wept, right? Like, Jesus was broken when his friend Lazarus was dead. We lose loved ones here in this church. Men, it's okay for us to cry that we lost them. And I'm going I'm I'm to throw this out there. I don't know if I have permission from the deacons to share, but I'm going to share this anyways. So here we go. When we were praying for Rick, I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, that was probably one of the most intimate times we've had as a deacon board and leadership team. When we got together and prayed over the phone, that, there was nothing like it. And I'm not going to tell you who cried. Bet you can't tell, right? Anyways, the reality is, God gives us comfort and where to comfort our children. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's what Psalms tells us. In fact, God not only comforts us, he also confirms whose we are. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Look what it says here. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This text is absolutely beautiful. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a witness that we are his. The God, God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. That's something that nobody else can give you. Believer, if you want assurance of salvation, you need the Holy Spirit to give you that assurance. You need that more than writing a date down that you believe you were assured. You need the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you won't have that assurance if you're not in this book. The more you're outside this book, the less assurance you will probably sense. In fact, here's a practical part of this. God the Father gives the comfort of the Holy Spirit to us so that we can confirm that we are his children. He comforts us, as we saw earlier, in our trials and tribulations, but gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit to confirm that we are his. So, fathers, think of this. This is practical, and I don't think I've ever really looked at it this way. We can't, as fathers, give our children the Holy Spirit, but you know what we can give them? What the Holy Spirit works through, the Word. This is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. God gives us specifically the Word to work in our hearts. It's the Word that gives life. Hearing comes by the Word of God. And that's where faith comes from. Fathers, you have to have the attitude of David, right? If you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I don't know if I... I'm really good at this stuff. I don't know if I can really be a good father in this area and confirming my children are who they are when it comes to my family and also the Heavenly Father. But I'm going to tell you right now, parents, here's what your children need from you. We're going to look at it two different ways. One is, fathers, your children need to know that no matter what, they're your children and you're going to care for them as their father. No matter what happens in their life. They're yours, they have your last name, and you care about them. No matter how difficult life gets. And your children need to know that your Heavenly Father is your Father. And that you belong to Him. And because you belong to Him, you want that relationship for them. You want them to know your Heavenly Father. You want them to be connected to the Heavenly Father. Fathers, if you want to have an attitude, I don't know of any man in Scripture that's more bold than David, right? But even he would say these words. He says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I wasn't some wimpy man in the Bible, okay? We're not talking some sissy guy. Macho men should be in the Bible. They should not neglect it and ignore it. You want to be a real man of God? Get in the Word. Love God's Word like David loved God's Word. You can stand up for what's right. Fathers, the Bible that you read to your children is more important than anything you can give them. Anything. It will protect them from more travesty in their life than anything else that you offer. The Bible you share with your children is the instrument that God uses to give your children new life in Christ. You can't come to saving faith apart from the Word of God. It's impossible because the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. That is one of the reasons why the gospel message is sent by the church. And you need to know what the gospel message is before you can send it out to people. If you're a follower of Christ and God is your father, then you need to emulate him as a good father yourself. And how do you do that? 
Well, men, we make Christ the priority in our home. And those around us can see the value of relationship with a good father. So here's my question to you. In conclusion, very simple question, but it's direct to anybody that's here, but specifically to fathers. Are you emulating your heavenly father? Are you emulating your heavenly father? You see, your faith lived out and passed down to the next generation is the most important thing you can give to your children. Just, so, just as it's the most important thing that a mother can give to her children. If you don't know him, if you don't know God, your heavenly father, then you need to start by trusting Christ. Men, we can't lead children to something we don't know ourselves. So you need to start there, men. If you, if you don't know Christ, I just want to encourage you, even those, those that are watching online, if you don't know Christ, you can't share him with your children. If you don't know your heavenly father, you can't give that to your children. You need to know him first. And once you know him, make sure that you make much of that to your children. If you're a follower of Christ, then you need to make sure that you're emulating your heavenly father. Make Christ the priority in your home, and those that are around you will see the value of a relationship with a good father. Let's pray. <music>